welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for <laughs> way too long. Talk to you about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by Tony. If you want to know if something's true, who you gonna call Mythbusters? That was not the Mythbusters theme song. It's the new, <laughs> it's supposedly the new one. So YouTube tells me because the original one was just like, you know, so it was just instrumental. So I found that one. So if it's not theirs, then now it's ours. In this episode is going to be something of a Mythbusters episode, because we're going to approach what we think is possibly one of the big myths about RPGs, which is to never split the party. Now, on the one hand, that applies to PCs. The PCs know they should not split themselves up, or they don't, and they get split up. But also as a DM, I think conventional wisdom is never split the party. And we've had some things lately that make it feel like, well, hey... Maybe there are some good times to split the party and some things differently. So this episode is Dungeon Master Mythbusting, splitting the party. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? And how do you do it when you want to do it? And guys, so let's start off by talking about, you know, do you like splitting the party? Do you try to do you try to avoid it? Do you try to do it? Like like under what circumstances? Well, first let me say I'm glad Dave handled that because I couldn't have carried that tune if you glued it to my hands. <laughs> I didn't I so also if everybody goes on Google and finds this uh, version of whether or not it's actually a real version, but there's a whole like who are you gonna call part that's like <laughs> and it sounds like J Lo's doing it. I'm like, oh, fuck that. I'm <laughs> I'm not doing that. You got that, Dave. I played it straight, yeah. So the game runs differently than it would, of course, if it was a graphic novel or it was a movie versus we're actually sitting there and playing it. So if this is a cinematic experience, we're splitting the party up, actually that's a great idea because then you're changing scenes, you're keeping it fresh, you have different characters interacting with the environment, or you're a player and six different players are doing individual things and you're waiting 20 minutes for your turn, uh-huh. trying your hardest not to metagame and pretend you don't know what these guys are effing up in these other rooms while you're doing this. You're putting your nails. <laughs> Tone, I'm that's not actually... There. I'm not there. Tone, that's a great point. I, I, I really never thought about it. But yeah, like cinematically or book-wise, like when doesn't it happen, right? It's probably right. a way shorter list is when that doesn't happen because that's kind of the point is to create that sense of of danger and all of this is to completely have them in separate areas, separate rooms, separate storylines. And that is one of the tricky parts of it is that it does split everyone up where the rest of the party isn't involved. You know, and that is that is probably the biggest reason why I would say we're advised not to do it as DMs and why I usually try to avoid it as a DM, because not only are you trying to manage, okay, you know, anywhere from two to six different storylines going on all of a sudden or different scenes going on. Everyone who's not involved in the scene going on right now is sitting there doing nothing. And that's hard enough to manage when everyone's in the same room and their characters can interact. It gets harder to manage when they can't talk to each other. Mm. So Sometimes, ironically, and I, I don't mean to even contradict my own point here, but there once in the great while. <laughs> It actually can be neat. Absolutely. Uh, like in the scene where we had Storm Kings, we had three different guys doing three different things. But here's the problem with even that inherently is also that your, your, your DMCP was now running in overdrive 
because mm-hmm. you have three separate encounters that you're running all at once. And of course, in 5e, you have multiple creatures going on, traps, where they are in the initiative order. And you're trying to balance because you know you always have that one player who wants to do 19 things before he has to or they have to hand the torch over to somebody else. Like, <laughs> oh, I go talk to this guy. I'm like, um, Bob's in an attack round. Like, you're not going to interview this guy for clues <laughs> while these two guys are in a fist fight. And it's, you know, it's tough as a player, too, because you're trying to get in and out of your stuff. But at the same time, like, all right, oh, but I want to do this, too. And this and I should take care of this here. And I don't want to miss that chance. You know, as a player, it can be hard to wrap it up and keep your turn quick so they can get on to the next guy or girl. Yeah, I, I so I was kind of thinking back when we were talking about this idea of like, you know, these the just like like when I used to work out like a lot and, you know, I'd be a gym rat and like there's so many myths so many just like oh well this is just the way it is in like working out and exercise and bodybuilding and like i found the same thing in the gaming world it's like well no this is just how it is and you see people that just kind of toe that party line Mm. but i think like what you guys are saying is absolutely the case um and i i thought of three different episodes where i had in essence they either the the party themselves split it or i had a, something occur that split it. One was in that Marvel game that I ran where they literally split up within Manhattan itself because they were beginning to investigate different regions. Yeah. Um, you know, some were going up. And that's, I mean, hell, that's literally like every Avengers movie and stuff is, well, you're going here, you're going here, you're going here, right? That's the first time I kind of ran into having to run it in that way. Uh, I had the Curse of Strahd one in Argonvost Holt when the magic wall of stone came up and split the party. And then I had one in that weird New Jersey campaign I did where they kind of split themselves. But what I found and from what you are, what you guys are kind of pointing out, it depends on what's happening when the party is split. If they're split in a, in a, in a section, like for instance, an Argon hole with the stone, the party is split. So you uh, you you can ratchet up the danger for like Hawk and Sir Scar, you know, because they were being completely attacked. But the other members of the party are actively attempting to also be in the initiative order. So you're not having this 20 minute, to, you know, I want to yeah. do this. And now I'd like to do that. I want to talk to the mayor. And, and just to j- just to set this just to make sure the, the listeners remember what that was. That was a fight where we were in Argonvalls Holt, which is a mansion in Ravensloft. The party's walking down a corridor. The two meat shields that to the, the barbarian and the paladin are out in front and they step into a T-junction and a, a, a stone wall slams down, cutting them off from the rest of the party. And they are then the paladin and barbarian are then attacked by a bunch of ghosts. The rest of the party can't get to them, but it's essentially it was one encounter with the party physically separated. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. One but, then you, but yeah, so that's with an initiative order. And that creates, like Tony was saying, where it actually, I think, enhances it because now you have ratcheted up the tension and danger. Right. We always say, you know, the, the threat of defeat and death should not be absent from the game. And those types of encounters are exactly why don't quote, don't split the party on the PC side. But then you also have the things like um, actually thrown in uh, Slaver's Bay mm. with Hannibal, where you would go off. Like, for instance, the one time when you decided to infiltrate the temple in Thrace. Yeah. And what that did, which is very cool because you're out investigating and there's a level of danger because your party could be dead or your party member. The problem is, is it became a lot of conversation. 
a lot of investigation. And that is where you get these 20 minute interludes where you have to try to get back to, okay, what are you guys doing over here? Yeah. And that was, uh, and that was a situation where basically that, that character was a shape-shifting druid. He basically used his animal forms to infiltrate this fortress of a temple and go have a convert and just to, just an intelligence of scouting mission and go. And he actually wound up having a conversation with kind of the big bad over there while the rest of the party. That, that was funny. Cause that was something where I remember as a player, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go check out around here. Well, that's a courtyard. All right. Well, Hey, I know how I can get around a courtyard. I can turn into a spider and I jump up right. on top. I get on top of the wall. And like, I just did, it was like one of those things that kind of was like one thing after another. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, well, I am waist deep in an adventure alone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's what I found with the, when I say the Marvel campaign where they were doing the scouting within Manhattan is that was a time where there was a lot of investigation and possibly conversation, but it was something where, okay, two or three things. Okay. What are you guys, two or three things. Two or three things, much like a, a, a TV series or movie would do, where you would have those those screen breaks, you know, and then the other party can members can decide. Okay, talk amongst yourselves. What do you want to be doing while that's what, happening? You know? What did What did you do in Slavers Bay with the rest of the party while I did that? Yeah, you know, when I went off, when I went off gallivanting and hogging I'm trying the show. to remember. So there were a couple times because that was generally your character. Uh, you would turn into a wolf and go hunt in the woods during the night. So sometimes I would just let you go off on there and it was in essence going to be maybe a fool's errand in, a, in some ways, you know? So the one time I set it up where then the party got ambushed, you know, uh, that time though, I, 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 was that when, was that when they... I think like the party was kind of just, I think they were just kind of bopping around town and every now and then I would go back to them, but that was definitely a time where I felt that, you were in it for much longer than the other members were, you know, and there there could have been some of that. Um, was that when the party thief wound up trying to rob the house too? No, I think that was late. I think that was later. It, but it's I thought they were the same session. It's possible. It's Cause possible. I thought, like he was like in the house. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to wander down the path then. And, uh, <laughs> and I will admit, so, Hannibal him Hannibal is a character that is a loner, so I wanted him doing some stuff like that. But I also definitely felt there were times when I let it get out of hand. Or, yeah. you know, or, or like where it's just like, okay, he's and you had you you'd pulled back on it a couple times by like having the party attacked and I'm missing I missed a fight at one point. Yeah. Um yeah. and so I mean it definitely backfired, but yeah, there's sometimes where that did kind of go on a bit. And I remember we did cut back and forth, but I don't remember what the rest of the party was doing, which is maybe a sign that this is the problem with splitting the party, right? One right. player hogs all the spotlight. Right, right. But not always. Uh, well, actually, uh, it's kind of funny you say it in, in, this, in that context. And I, I hate to keep coming back to Ravenloft because I feel like that, like we're beating the, the dead horse of Bavaria there. But um, we were in the Amber Temper and you're sending Patty around, who is his invisible imp and he flies like his drone. So yeah. my... Barbarian standing there in his wrestling leotards, watching you send around your drone for 35 <laughs> minutes. And, you know, tactically speaking, that's actually fantastic because why am I going to go step on landmines? On the other hand, you know, like, oh, nothing to report, nothing to report. All right, I guard the doorway, I guard the hallway, I check the bathroom, I check behind the bathroom mirror. Yeah. And, and Thorin definitely pulled a little bit back on that at times. Like, oh, well, what do you, what does the rest of the party want to do? Or do you want me to just keep scouting? And I try the best I can. Even I remember exactly that session. It was the last one we just had. And uh, hopefully you, remember you try that. to, yeah, you try to go back to 
okay, what are you guys now doing? You know, so let's say Patty or Poe, my, my Roderick's familiar as well. I'll send him out because, yeah, you get intel, but you also pull away from the rest of the party being able to have the fun of investigating, right? And that's actually something where I wonder if it's not better to handle that by just as the DM saying, okay, one, your familiar can't open doors. Here's what you can see without opening doors. He buzzes around and here's your top down view. And I describe, just describe the things in there and bring him back. And what do you guys want to do? You know, cause it's, there's less tension that way, but it might be the, it's the other DM way to handle that where, okay, they're scouting. So they're sending a familiar out to scout, or there's a lot of ways to scout. This is something that happens a lot in 5e. There's actually a lot of mechanics for scouting in 5e where someone sends an automaton out there and then the dm has to decide how do i deal with this if you keep it kind of in turn order and keep hopping back it's like it, it gets to be a it's there's more tension but it gets to be a bit slow the other option has not very much tension but you can just open up the areas and be like okay here's the map here's what you see i describe the things quickly and then maybe the familiar interacts with some things and you know kind of says okay he takes a closer look at the book and maybe he's put like limits on he can't lift that can't lift that can't get in there which is hard because they're not that weak like, I mean, his familiar is an imp. It's not like it's like, you know, an imp is, it's not like a bee. It's not like it's like a fly flying around. It's, but a, it's mean, one of those tough ones because you yeah. have that, this, as Tony, you pointed out, this drone that literally can just like, hey, so all of this, this mysterious area is now, boop, open the box. And now you know exactly everything. So it's hard to balance that sometimes. And where do you, where do you cordon them off? It, it kind of, it is tricky because yeah, because one, I don't want to, would never want to say to a player, that's something you can't or shouldn't use because that's not cool. But in the same breath, there's very limited tension in that moment because you're sending an invisible creature around that basically can't die. If Patty gets killed by a guillotine, you're just going to resummon him. Oh, but no, that takes some time. I was going to throw that out there because that is one way to deal yeah. with it. Have the familiar yeah. run into something that kills it because they can't. It's a, it's a 10 minute ritual. It's an hour. Or an hour. Is it's it an, like hour? an hour? Yeah. yeah. I think so. like, yeah, I think it's an hour casting for familiar. Man, for I wish that if I reason. could die, you could bring me back in an hour. That'd be pretty cool. Well, for I mean, that reason, you know. Well, technically, we have to bring you back inside of 60 seconds. That's how Revivify works. <laughs> yeah, it's an action. No pressure, guys. No, You're back. <laughs> but it is. So, I mean, that is actually. So, I think there's there's a couple ways to think about it and a couple ways to handle that particular scouting issue, which is a which comes up a lot in 5e. I've read about it. I know people. I know DMs have issues with it. It's, it comes up in every single one of our games because I think we all have a familiar in every single. Not nobody does. Every, not in every game, but you're right. And it's it comes up often enough that it's kind of like it's one of those ways you need to modify your DMing based on your party. Well, we we don't have it. We, we quote don't have it in Woodstock, but we kind of did. But our wizard has been never wanted to utilize the familiar <laughs> in the scouting mission. So you could have. So it's kind of like having a cleric that doesn't prepare healing. Spells. He loved his cat. And That's a sore spot for me, Dave. Right there, the cleric with the no healing, geez. I know, we were just talking about Revivify, and I was like, yeah, you can do it in one action, but you would have to prepare first. So I think there's a few ways to handle this. And the one is you do, you take them through room by room. You, you're basically giving the familiar the spotlight and the player playing them. And you break it up and give the other characters a chance to do something. However, in that situation, it's in everyone's best interest if everyone else just waits for the scout to come back, which kind of sucks because it, it's boring for everyone else. But it keeps tension up. If you want to do that, probably your best option is to either make sure a lot of the doors are sealed so the familiar can't get too far on its own. And if he gets too far, something Kill sees it. it kills it. You yeah, find a way to kill it. You Sorry, know, you're dead. And not to mention, you kill a couple familiars. They're expensive to resummon. 
you know, I mean, I think you do need to have something happen, but like, like, like Patty would have found his way to the Amber Golem that was in there. And if that Amber Golem who might be able to see invisible, I don't know, detected him and took a SWAT. I bet you, I bet you Patty is, you know, Pat Pace. Well, or, <laughs> uh, or, uh, Dion Dave could have just remembered that Patty was in the statue with the, uh, the villain and just killed his ass dead. And, but, you know, totally well, that, forgot that, was, that he was buzzing around, you know, that was during the fight at least. Like that it was, was actually, yeah. that during... was a complicated battle. Oh, no, 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 Cause Patty did fly up to his face. He, so did, this... he was right. He was buzzing around cause he tried to, he took his, his glasses. That villain, yeah. Patty, well, I guess the tricky part, though, no, he took his glasses during the fight. So yeah. we're talking about the Amber Temple yeah. in, 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 in Curse of Strahd. And the first encounter is basically, the first room is they come in, there's a room with a giant statue, and it turns out, spoiler alert, there is a there, there is an Arcana Loth hanging out in the statue's head, fireballing people from there. What a jerk. With, and there's a bunch of flaming skulls around yeah, fireballing people from there. It's a fucking kill box. Like, Frankly, if, up, if your no party walks in and just strides into that oh. open killing floor and gets 20 fireballs, you had it coming. Because <laughs> you can't. You can literally trigger, by my count, seven fireballs. If the DM decides to play it that way, the DM could 100% have seven fireballs hit you in the middle of that floor. Yeah, hey, well, you know. It's a lot of reflex saves, folks. Yeah. That is. That's you better have some fire protection. However, I guess the only other thing. Welcome Patty, to the temple, guys. Patty oh, is an God, imp. Steve, he's dead. <laughs> so, so, so Patty is an imp, and he is immune to fire, though. So that is the He'd one. The only one survivor. Now, you so, had to. You'd have to hit him with a lightning bolt. To uh, finish out that last point, though, I did decide to give the party a level of foreshadowing. I did talk about scorch marks. I talked about a completely petrified. Uh, uh, We're just carbonized. <laughs> yeah, carbonized, yeah. It was like, um, oh, crap, the village. Uh, it was like Pompeii. The Gimbalabi looked like Pompeii. So, you know, you know something's something's up. So, okay, so that's the one way to handle it. And the, the pro is you keep tension high. The con is one guy's hogging the spotlight. The other way to handle it is you just reveal a bit of map that the familiar can get to, describe the visual of what's in there without letting the familiar interact with anything, and then you just you lose some tension. But if you limit how far the familiar can go, you're not going to lose all your tension. But they're all likely to want to do it again. So that's the downside. I mean, that's the downside of scouting, right? Scouting takes the surprise away. That is what you're doing with scouting. The third well, it option... Does, it does cause one of the party members, like our rogue in yeah. Woodstock, to have their have their balls hanging out there. Like, you sure. could die, you know? So that's also kind See, of... See, that's hard different, to... though, because there's the tension that the rogue is sneaking, yes. the rogue could get spotted, the rogue could get the business. Exactly. Wait, Versus exactly. this guy who's basically like, ah, beam me back, and he gets blown up, he turns to the confetti. Right, this invisible uh, drone, you know, the invisible drone thing. Yeah. But even, you know, it's the, but fun, as a DM, though, it's the same problem as if a rogue is scouting ahead. I would actually say they're the same issue. It's one character using their abilities for an extended period of time to do the scouting. So as a DM, you have to handle i think they're actually pretty similar you either have to threaten the, the, the scout so it gets out or just let them see what they can see and then say okay you come back and what do you guys do from here and then and, they, they have full intelligence and while i don't do it all the time i would be uh you know going forward i would be more apt especially in a virtual tabletop because i think it will play a little differently between virtual tabletop and actual tabletop but go by action you know, okay, you're flying ahead. You can fly this amount in your action. Everyone else is not frozen in time. Boom, 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 around the table. And they can completely pass and say, no, let's let the familiar or the, or the rogue go on. 
but then they've decided as a party. So at that point, yeah. they are now somewhat invested in the in the outcome of that. And that's true. I mean, you should give on the one hand, you do you should give everyone a chance to do everything every round while this is going on. On the other hand, you wind up in a situation where the party still might be like, well, I'm bored. But the best thing we can do is let the scout finish his job. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem because that's really I find that tends to be where you wind up is everyone's like, OK, this isn't the most exciting way to go about this. This is the better way to go about this. Like strategically, we're safer. It makes the most sense. My character would do it this way. So, so we're just going to feel that out. boredom coming up. Just kill the scout is what kill the scout. I mean, that's probably the easiest way. I just if you see boredom at the table immediately. Uh, <laughs> rocks immediately. <laughs> but, it's, but at the same time, you, you got it. You have to, it has to be, I know for me, it would have to be something that happened in there. It can't be just like, uh, boredom kill. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're, no, you, I, your yeah, familiar no. has a collar around its neck. And if you're three of your other party members get bored, it dies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird mechanic, but hey, is you like sing and dance while you're visibly scouting and sneaking at the same time to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably the most common way parties get split. But then there's other things you can do. And this actually came up in the Call of Cthulhu game. This, uh, In fact, what kind of inspired this was a little interaction went down in the Call of Cthulhu game I was jamming, where I took what I don't normally do. And so in Call of Cthulhu, at the end of the last session, you know, they got rescued by the Coast Guard and police at a, at, at a lighthouse where many people had been murdered. Uh, in the parties there, like, okay, we're the only ones left. So I bring them back to town. The party knows what happened. The party knows it was deep ones and the deep ones were trying to get back gold coins that the, that the land walkers had stolen. And they wound up killing a bunch of people there. But I have them taken into custody by police. And we start the game with that police interaction. And I do something that I think worked well for most of the players, but I'm not sure. I sit everyone down and one by one interrogate them with this, with the sergeant of the police force. And he's put together his own, his own theory that they were there as a coin deal to acquire some rare coins. The deal went bad and the party killed their, killed their buyers or sellers, or they killed their, their big, their contacts. That's what he's working under. He's trying to pin the murder on the party. So one by one, I pull each of the players in and do a little interrogation scene with them, a challenging interrogation. And what got hilarious was very quickly we found out none of the party kind of had their story straight. <laughs> we were and the most suspect well, party well, in the well, world. Well, let me, let me qualify that. So we show up somewhere and everyone's dead and then we're attacked by frog people. Now, if you want to tell that to the police chief, that is on the table. <laughs> you could run with the truth, but go ahead. So what I thought went to me as the DM, what went really well is as I'm going through interrogating everyone, we did this number one, we did it. Everyone could hear what was being said. So I didn't do the, one of these things where, okay, I'm going to cut you off in a separate channel. And no one else can hear what's going on. Cause that's really boring. I actually felt like the party enjoyed hearing each other get interrogated. At least some of the party members, because it got funny. Like yeah. people are trying to remember what they're going to say. And I'm actually, I'm like pushing back and I'm twisting everything and I'm doing the whole, you know, Oh, Oh, you so, 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 so those are really interesting coins to you, huh? You know, say they'd be worth a lot of money. You know, I'm letting the party incriminate themselves as they talk and the rest of the party's kind of getting a kick out of that. No, it absolutely played out like that too, though, because it was very much you're like for me, uh, like with Dr. Cogswell, I was absolutely trying to play him the way he would be. So one, he's not believing about these frog people thing. Like he's just feels like there's still something like, because that's not real. That doesn't happen, right? So he's still trying to somehow put these things together in his mind, right? Well, quite natural, old boy. I'm sure I'm sure there's an explanation for everything. Right, exactly, right? So I'm trying to play that. But then as I'm explaining it and the sergeant is repeating back, it turned very much into where you're watching the, the, the movie or the television show and you're like, oh my God, like, 
this sounds so fishy, you know? And then the <laughs> next person gets drawn in. And then where it really went bad is yeah. when Bonnie's character, Maud, the P.I., this <laughs> decided to be the impulse character, but I think also in ways that weren't necessarily within character fully, but turned into hilarious things where she's literally just like putting her like balls out on the table with the sergeant being like, who can piss more? And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, like we're all going to be arrested. You're, you're making that make more sense than it did. Bonnie's character <laughs> in that game is like Deadpool, yeah. like w w without the murdering. Like that, like she has that mentality where she's doing all this crazy, crazy shit. And the guy's like, okay, so I was going to throw you in here for the weekend. I'm thinking like 10 to 15 years is yeah, much more which, appropriate. Which I think works in a very fantasy-based game like D&D or something, Pathfinder or something. But in Call of Cthulhu, where you're real people in the real world, I don't know if it plays as much. So it did create a very funny encounter. But it also kind of became like a, well, now we've kind of tanked this. So now Thorin, as the keeper, I think, has to figure a way to not put all of his players in prison for the next 20 years, right? Because the trial drama of us being arraigned is not going to be as fun to play, I don't think. I mean, maybe. Who knows, for, right? But For the record, I didn't know how you guys were going to respond, but I came into it knowing how I was going to move forward. Right. Yeah, so I, I, I knew you I would. I didn't improv because... that on the spot. Like, I knew kind of what adventure I wanted to put you guys into. I had only prepped the one. So I kind of knew I wanted to get you guys off. The, you're now, those of you who play Call of Cthulhu, they're now in Amidst the Ancient, ancient Trees. It's in the, it's actually in the, right, in the, right in the book. So I knew I wanted to get you into that. I knew where I was putting it. I knew what the transition was going to be. And I kind of knew I had in my back pocket a way to get you guys out, which is that I could just say that the ship that went down that you guys were on, that they found that they recovered the manifest book, and yeah, these guys happened to be on it. To me, it felt like it went really well from my point of view. It felt like it was fun. We brought in Officer McGavin, Tony's character, and the sergeant basically laid on to him like, so you're a dirty cop, huh? You disgust me. But he brings the cop in last. <laughs> last. Well, absolutely. So Tony's having to go through four freaking people just saying whatever. And he's bringing up all the places they contradicted each other. Because I was like, I mean, because shoot himself like, in the like lobby. We were all in the same game four weeks ago in each of you was describing it differently, which I thought was perfect. Very <laughs> real. That's real, right? That's yeah. kind of, we, we were kind of playing it in character generally, I thought, you know. But, which was really crazy, and I, I was really, like, biting my fingers trying to metagame in that scene, is when I walked in there, and I realized that none of the other players had informed the police that the, all the coin dealers and all those people involved in the island were, were dead when we arrived. Like, that was, like, the real, like, they're like, oh, so when did you meet them, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. they were dead. And they yeah. were disemboweled. Like, yeah. it's not like, oh, man, gunshot, huh? He got shot. Is that right? No, he was eviscerated by a large creature talent. Well, and, and the problem with that, though, was you didn't have any way to prove when he got to the island. And you didn't have any way to prove exactly. I mean, you have 1920s tech, but are they going to be able to tell that these guys were killed an hour before you got on the island when you're saying you didn't get to the island until such, such a time? You had no way to prove it. It was the argument of coincidence because we kept saying we were shipwrecked on the island. And even while I'm being interrogated as the, the classics professor from Princeton, right? I'm being interrogated and I'm starting to question myself and I had to <laughs> go out. I said, wait, Thorin, out of game, 
we were shipwrecked, right? That's how it went down. Because I literally started to be like, well, shit, like the cop was like turning it on me. You know? Well, because so, so the scenario was Lightless Beacon. That was the one they were in before. And that one starts with a shipwreck. You're on a steamer. Uh, you're going past uh, Beacon Point, past Rockport, I believe is the name of the yeah. town. And your steamer goes down and you wind up rowing to a lighthouse. And then, you know, well, hilarious. just happened news. to row to the lighthouse where all our contacts are and have been murdered it, by... It, and then it, superstitious about that at all. No. And in classic <laughs> horror supernatural movie fashion, the cops blamed you for everything because you were the last yeah. people left alive. And, you know, I, like, and I knew I kind of, I mean, I had thought that through a bit before we, I mean, this was, this, this particular session, I find I can't quite ad lib call Cthulhu like other things. So I do prep. Like I had prepped this. I knew what I was going to do with you guys. Even though I didn't know exactly how it was going to go, I kind of knew I was going to have them sit you down. And then once the individual interview started going off the rails so hilariously and spectacularly, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I'm leading into this. <laughs> and then like by the time the cop comes in, I've picked up several places where he can legitimately say, and Tony has already heard, he could call out where everyone disagreed with each other. Oh, you were going to see about a book, but no, this one said you were going to see about coins. And this one said you were going to in his mouth, which is it, dirty cop. Um, and for me, like, I felt like it was good and it felt like the players had a good time to an extent. Oh, like, it was, it was funny as hell. It was, I mean, we were, we were, uh, you know, uh, typing each other within the chat log of Roll20 because <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking crying laughing at times because it's so, we're, I'm like, we're like, we're like, I would put us away in prison. So, so Tony, <laughs> did you enjoy this whole, I mean, it went on for a bit. It went on for at least an hour. Like this portion of the game was not short. Did did you have a good time, Tony? Because I know you're a little more you're a little more skeptical about this kind of thing. I'm always the dissenting viewpoint on things. I feel on the podcast. Um, you're one of my players. You're, you're, the, the words matter equally, right? I mean, I Dave liked it, and I know some other people liked it. And yeah, I mean, how'd you what do you think? I think some good things came out of it. One of the things I don't like as a player is when I feel like the other players aren't drawn into the game. Um, and that sometimes that's on the players that could be for any various reasons. And in that respect, you pulled everybody in, I thought was good. You, you just don't get to sit there and kind of chillax until a monster rolls up. You're involved. I'm coming at you. The cops interrogating you and you're up for murder. One, two, and three. There you go. Um, in that respect, it was good. But as Dave articulated, I'm waiting basically 20 something minutes for a chance to, you know, to get to my, get to my turn. Probably 45. <laughs> this was, was a perfect, I'm, I'm this gonna, was a, yeah, this, I'm not going to lowball this. Uh, this game was a perfect example, I think, um, of something we talk about a lot. So we talk about like, you know, everyone has experienced that time sink in that slog where mm. some encounter of whatever's happening, whatever system you're playing turns into an hour, an hour and a half. And we had two instances within this same session. So we had the first with the interrogations. So we have the initial, in essence, this setup for the next adventure that takes, let's say, a quarter of the session. Probably. But, yeah, that's probably about right. But in the end, is enjoyable for the most part, right? Um, you know, Tony's character has to sit there through four other interrogations, right? But we're laughing and we're having a good time. He drank a lot know? of and coffee. I, yeah, and I feel like that probably would have played a little different at the ta at the table table, right? But regardless. And then the second one was when we did we're we're uh, 
we decide to uh, be part of this search operation for this missing daughter of like so big. He's a big wig in the town of Rockport. His last name's White, um, isn't it? Or Strong. 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 Yeah. Strong. Yeah. So. And we decide, okay, we, we got to go get geared up. So we got to, in essence, go shopping in Call of Cthulhu, right? And for me, that was a huge time sink, but was super enjoyable because you got to go into, it's the first time we really went into the COC, like, equipment list, as it were, you know? And you're going to, like, 1920s gear and, and clothing and weaponry and all of this stuff. And super enjoyable, but a lot of time devoted to it so it's those times where you you're having to balance between well yeah we invested time but it was worthwhile because it was fun right so maybe we didn't get as far in the adventure as we could have okay like we're coming back next session but it was enjoyable i thought uh something that actually for me is better in in this type of system is that when we're playing D, i'm like okay our character's looking to level we are goofing around. We're in the store. We're not gonna lie to that guys. I need XP. Yeah, I've waited. Uh, I've waited four weeks to get to this game, and I want to hit level five. But I mean, that's for the How much shopkeeper XP do I get if I kill him? Yeah. I mean, like I'm like your role play with a shopkeep is riveting. I mean, this is fantastic. Like I want to do a TikTok <laughs> on this, but but seriously, um, can we get to the freaking module? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't so much like you're not so much bound by that or even with Milestone, which I'm a big fan of in 5e. I'm like, if we don't get to the Milestone, guys, hey, it's all or nothing. Yeah, the Milestone does kind of give you incentive to move forward. Definitely a different uh, a different feel to the system. I would say similarly uh, to the face rep, the Marvel system that we're also playing in that you're not so much focused on, ooh, what do I, what's the shiny toy I get next? As much as those systems seem to be a lot more built for character development, right? And that's why you have that slow skill leveling in, for instance, Call of Cthulhu, or slow power leveling in Marvel. You have to invest, and it, it's part of that development of the character arc, I think. And actually, Cthulhu, it's not even that you're investing. It's that you, when you successfully, and for those yeah. of you who haven't played, we'll yeah. go over it. When you successfully use a skill, you click a, you 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 put a tick next to it, and at the end of the session or adventure or wherever your break wherever the the GM decides the breakpoint is, you can roll to try to advance every skill you use. So it's a little bit like Skyrim in that way, whereas the stuff you used is what advances. It's not like Skyrim in that it's not it doesn't guarantee it's going to advance. And the higher it gets, the harder it is to advance. Like the the percentage chance is lower that you'll advance it. So every time you basically need to. Your skills are, are, are percentile. The higher they are, the better. But when you advance it, you need to roll a percentile die and roll that skill number or above to get the advancement. So when you hit 90%, you can use it every session, and you're only going to advance it one in every 10 Definitely sessions. Definitely hard levels it. Yeah, yeah, hard levels it a lot. On the other hand, if you're at 10%, you get one success out of it. Well, it's almost certainly going up that session. And a lot of the characters right now, they're at like 30% on things, 40% on things. They have a good chance of advancing. So, and that's, I mean, so Tony, overall, like, I mean, and this is, here's, here's what I'm trying to weigh on this kind of approach to things. I want to go back to this trick too often. It is a trick. When I bring the players in, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take each of you in individually and talk to each character individually, but I'm going to let everyone else listen. Hopefully I'm hoping the people listening are having a good time and that they're being entertained by their friend, almost doing character karaoke, right? <laughs> Everyone gets their chance at the mic. On the other hand, I'm aware that when they're not, in, while they're sitting there, they are not, they're the ones just hanging out watching the show. So hopefully they're enjoying it, but they're not playing actively. 
like did you enjoy that overall tony or did you do you feel like you were more bored than having fun no i enjoyed it but i had some mixed feelings in there because of course as i'm waiting for my opportunity to come up i'm like okay i'm in a police um waiting room in a 1920 session and you know the last two people just took you know, eight minutes each, and I'm going to be here for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. there, there is a real... hear how it's every single eight to ten minutes, it's going that much worse for when your turn is up. But I don't right? know that. And there is right? like, it's like everyone keeps, like, it's a it's a relay race, and all the three people ahead of you are fucking slow as shit. And you're like, I'm going to have to make up a lot of mileage here. You know, one of the things <laughs> I actually prided myself on when I was a player in Thorns 4E game is when I was playing Cassidus, all these guys would spend all this time taking each of their moves. And I'd be like, my wizard moves. He's there. He casts fireball. He does 27 damage. He hits these three guys. I'm done. Next. Well, they're like, well, let me see. I'm, I'm like, oh, my God, you're a fighter. You're not a philosopher. Like, just freaking go. The tricky the tricky part there as a DM is you want them to move it along. On the other hand, that decision, especially in 4E, which was very tactically focused, that decision-making was their turn. Like, that was the game, right? I mean, it's deciding what you're going to do in combat is what the game is, especially in 4th edition. So it's tough to DM. You know, it's tough to balance that because I know if I'm rushing them too much, they're not going to have fun. If they're too slow, you're not going to have fun. We've talked a little bit. I think this kind of comes under the umbrella of scene management. So if your players are really into the imps floating around and inspecting everything, then I wouldn't cut that scene. Seriously. Like, I, I, would, let, I would let that go. Like, okay, they're, they're doing this. Maybe I could take a different angle and build some tension, and maybe something mysterious kills the imp, and we don't even know what happened. So there's a threat out there. The imp's dead now. Okay, he's not dead forever. I can resummon him, but what happened? What are we um, now? Yeah. Mm. With, with some of the other scenes, like, you know, Maud scene, I would have let that gone. Like, go ahead. You've got the mic. Go go, go be this character that's across between Deadpool and Harley Quinn. You're nuts. Go talk to this chief. <laughs> that's like free airtime for me. At the no, I'm not no, sure she's also, for nuts. are you a citizen of the United States? So I don't even know how that works in terms of an international incident, too. You know? Oh, yeah. No, no. I would have completely let that happen. Like, that. Like if I was trying to get a point of, across as a DM, like, I was trying to build some tension where I'm like, I'm going to get one of you guys in there, and they're going to say something that doesn't rub the cop the right way, and he's in a threat to put you in prison. There it is. I mean, I could open with her, just let her talk for three minutes, and we're like, all right, well, yeah. who's role-playing an attorney because we're gonna need money. yeah because we're not metagaming it even though we're all at the table right but we're yeah. all playing very well and not metagaming and our characters literally see maud west pi being let out in handcuffs from the interrogation room to the holding cell and i'm just, um uh um yeah um, well this this is shit the pad fantastic <laughs> i can't wait to be taken out in handcuffs too when's my turn but I think uh, just going back real quick, Thorne, I thought that was a great. That's I'm, I'm going to put that under uh, under our thing. We got battle mat psychosis. We got plandom encounters, that kind of stuff. Uh, character karaoke. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of what we're talking about with splitting the party. Is the fun of karaoke? And if people haven't done it, go do it. If you put a couple drinks in you, whatever it takes, do it because. A lot of the fun is watching your friends be up there, either doing awesome, right? And you're like, my God, like, you're really quite talented. Or completely fucking up, you know, I will always love you or some shit, right? 
And that's kind of what's happening when you split the party up too, whether it's through a couple groups or completely individual characters, is part of the fun has to be with the table, the enjoyment of seeing someone else have the spotlight, right? Um, and, and part of that is the fun of, the, of splitting the party. And if people aren't into that, that's going to be real, real hard for a lot of the rest of the game as well, I think. Well, and that's the tricky well, thing here, because, and this is where it's important to get, get this feedback from your players. And I, I'm actually, I, I was aware as we were doing it, some players were enjoying it more than others. Uh, I don't think anyone didn't enjoy it, but I do think, like Tony said, he had some mixed feelings about it. Like, it did take a while to get to the, to get to Officer yeah. McGavin. Yeah. And he didn't necessarily enjoy that. Whereas I'm sitting there as a DM, I'm like, yes, this is going exactly like I thought it was. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly how I thought everything was going to work. Great. Um, and I think my takeaway is it was a cool trick. It was fun. Every, I think mostly everyone had a good time. Um, Maude's got a tricky character to play. Maybe, you know, that's the, the hard thing about Maude is she's a master of disguise, private eye. So she's she's kind of constantly playing other characters. And the problem with that is it's hard. It takes a lot of effort as the player and you got to kind of prep it. And, you know, I don't know that she came in. I think that particular night, I think Bonnie came in kind of kind of like just a little bit tired. <laughs> and and that led, I think, to some of the more random role play. Out of, <laughs> the out impulse of the increases yeah. with fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I thought it was fun, though. Like, I thought I thought that she, I thought that she, that her encounter was fun. I thought seeing her let off in cuffs really was the piece de resistance of this tactic <laughs> of scaring the party. Of, of, She's of, like, like, yeah. Them, you know, you might as well take me out in handcuffs. Like, you know, uh, okay. I know you're not involved in this. <laughs> not <laughs> I, know I think this was prior to Miranda rights too, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think on the one hand, it's like, it was fun. I would do it again, but I shouldn't do it again too often. Like, this is not something to start every session with. This is like a, but it also, like, I got to think, okay, I'm sure in the future you guys will get arrested again. Do I come back to it? I mean, the idea that the FBI is shaking you down in some black site location about what you know about about these monstrosities is interesting. That could be fun. Well, it does create this. This was uh, in, in Call of Cthulhu land. Um, this was a way in which to check your players to this was a way to show that the world around you is real, is organic and is going to respond to how you push into it. Because in the 1920s, if you're just a band of like who puts this band together? And it's literally one of the cops, is, the sergeant is asking us, like, there's a cop, a Boston cop, with an ant antiques dealer, a professor from Princeton for no reason, right? <laughs> a literal cat burglar who's, like, kind of playing as, like, an attorney. Like, we don't even know, but, like, straight He's an attorney, ship, if anybody asks. Gentleman of the character. <laughs> and a private investigator. And they're just happening to, like, oh, yeah, we're looking into some coins. Like, wait, what? You know, so right off the bat, it, uh, it checks your players to to show that this world is real and and things have consequences, you know? You show up in a murder scene, you're going to be pulled into the station in any era, right? And that was part of the whole setup of the interrogation scene was realizing that when I start putting together what the player character professions were within the with within the context of what happened, I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is any any detective's going to see this a certain way, you know? They're <laughs> yeah, here are your prime suspects. So what happened here? We're going to glance gloss over some convenient things, and we're going to present this. We're going to present to them what we think happened. The um, only way I would have, for me, the only way looking back, if I was if I had been uh keeping the game um if i had been running it i um i might have tried to play up a little of the small town cop angle 
like very Stephen King-ish, where it's always like these small-time cops that get in way over their head, or like Stallone's character in Copland, where this guy, like, what's his biggest problem during the day, you know, a speeding ticket, you know, like, he's in this, like, nothing town, whatever, they got a quarry, and all of a sudden, these murder us, and he's like, okay, what the hell's going on, you know, so, but, that's so, completely on the side thing. If he's not, if he doesn't see more problematic things, more frequently. Also true, also true, that, that, uh, that also maybe leads into some of the, um, some of the larger story arcs. That, I mean, you're, you're, you're in Lovecraft country. And absolutely, like, yeah, someone, I mean, that's true, that's true. There, that's there's true. someone missing with some funny business down the next road, so... I was just thinking about it as we're kind of talking about it. You know, it, it could have been a, another angle that you could play with, too. But regardless, anyway. Here's another thing that came up there, though, and this is something I thought about, too. So in some cases, Bonnie's character is playing, is, was leaning into kind of the, I know this character, I have a connection here, there's something here. And, and even like what you're talking about here with, with the police with the police sergeant, I played him as someone who had to deal with problems in a place where he kind of, he is a bit savvy with a bit of a force and he, and it's going to be, this is his problem. Mm. I didn't play him a small town bumpkin sheriff with one deputy and I could have now at the same time, your like your impression was you might've taken him that way. And in, at one point I think the party did kind of think it might go that way. Now they had enough resources to, in picking you guys up. Where I felt like now nah, they've got like a coast guard. They've got boats. I didn't, I didn't describe you as coming back on like a, you know, a single engine fishing boat or anything. Like, like, like <laughs> a fishing, yeah. Or, 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 or like kind of like a swamp boat. Like, you know, you guys yeah. got like loaded in, a, in, in an outrigger canoe. Fan boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, but at the same time, sometimes you're starting to hear the, how the players see things. And I'm like, well, I'm taking it this other way. And I maybe should I have gone further? Should I have, should I, have made strong more sympathetic to to bonnie's character to maude i made him a little sympathetic he, he did he did put in a good word for her uh because we had said basically that she had done a little work for him investigating something in his going on in his quarry. oh my that was a whole nother thing where she literally this guy's daughter goes missing and she's threatening him like i think you did it <laughs> <laughs> we're all like what the fuck's happening <laughs> well it's funny i had a player in my games who would pull a stunt like that and he'd be right. That's oh. the problem. He <laughs> well, woke up to this guy what happens, right? with no evidence whatsoever. Like, like, <laughs> like basically no clue, like the tiniest clues in the world. He'd look around the room, go quiet for like 60 seconds, and he'd be like, no, Strong did it, and this is why. And then like the, the fingers would slam down on the keys of the piano. And I'm like, God damn it, you ruined it. You're like, ah, and the guy runs away. <laughs> and then you pull out my home. Stop it. Uh, and I tend to run more into the players like, oh no, he's evil. I'm like, he's not he's not supposed to be evil yet. <laughs> yes. Like, this, well, the same thing happened in the uh, in the other game in this world, where the one player was like, Oh, the grand like like the archmage, the, the king's archmage is I think he's dirty, he's in on it. And I'm like, that's not what he's trying to tell you. He's trying to cast whole person on the archmage. It's like counterspell, hold person, he just gives you a lecture. And it's like, oh, do I lean into that? Like when the players decide someone's the villain, do I say, Oh yeah, I should make him the villain? I usually Usually don't because I've usually got my own ideas and I'm already like ten steps down the path of where those ideas are going. Well, metagaming, I happen to know that he was affected by the deck media things, so he kind of is a villain now. So I think that was kind of did lead into that. <laughs> but that was that happened literally. Okay, so technically that same scene because the deck of many things happened next, and that came up, and I'm like, oh, okay, yes, now he is a villain. Okay, that works. Uh, my character's gonna be really surprised when I meet him again. He's like, oh yeah, it's good to see you, Erasmus. Have some coffee. It's not poisoned. I'm like, sure, it's good to see you. <laughs> 
gurgle, gurgle. Erasmus, you, you, maybe you're going to find out he's a real, he's like has been, had been. He's a real speciesist and he doesn't like your half giant looks. Hey, you know, come on. I, it's, it's very, um, it's, a, it's a unique look. It's very, uh, I'm trying to like, you know, start a trend. How do you know you're the same has been? Maybe he has enmity to another has been. Maybe this is a multi universe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. No, maybe. It's possible. No, I do, I do not know that. I think I am back in my dimension. We're getting off topic. So I'm going to ask is there, I, I want to say, like, is there really any advantages for the players? to split up other than to save time on something. Like, you're in a time-sensitive situation where I threw in Storm King's Thunder where I'm like, okay, two towns are being attacked at once. Yeah, Go. Yeah. And we decided not to split the party then. You did not. I no, will say, no, on the other hand... we just tried to power through and accept the consequences as, as they fell. On the other hand, we have one of the most one of the most effective party splits that has happened, you know, I think uh, that happened in Storm King's Thunder. There was the Argon... Now, now, in Barovia, the Argon... I don't think that was effective was if it's the one you're talking about. But it was, was I mean, I thought that as from a DM point of view of how it went down yes. was yes. super effective, which was early on, we were, in the, we were in, like, an underground cave that had been some kind of, like, wizard's library at one point. It's got different things. Half the party's checking out the library two players me and another and, and dave's character actually yeah are, are, are just we're just kind of checking things out like it's all safe in here we're looking around hey look at that slide type boom ropers attack a, a roper attacks us we're getting roped in and we're several turns away from the rest of the party we are low level to be dealing with a roper this is like in our first this is like our, like our third session and yeah. then and then the other part of the party they touch <laughs> something in the library where one of them gets poured it to another dimension yeah. Uh, where she actually happened to meet Erasmus, but then they're getting attacked by hordes of undead. Then you have two people in the library, and we're all like, the party split in three pieces. <laughs> they look up from their book they're reading, and go, hey, where, where's everybody at? <laughs> and, 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 and we're, we're split in three ways, and two of those ways are getting attacked. And yeah. like they're in way over their head. What do you do? And yeah. I thought that was like, that was fun to play. Everyone had, everyone was active. On the other hand, like when the party's splitting themselves, I mean, there's advantage to it. Like whenever we're talking about this, there's two sides to it. And this is why splitting up the group in a D&D &D game is not like splitting it up in a TV show or a book. It is very common for groups to split up in, in, in something you're watching. Like, you know, mm. Lord of the Rings, they split the party and you get, you get de dedicated chapters to everyone. Everyone gets a chance to shine. They bring them back together in the end for the big conclusion. In D&D, &D, the problem is while those other characters are shining, players who came to play aren't able to play. So that's why I would say while it is common for things to be split up in pop culture, you need to think differently about it as a dungeon master because it doesn't play the same way. Your players are the readers and the reader is not equally reading each of those chapters. So yeah. You basically have chapters that some readers are skipping. So it's 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 there's a problem there. At the same time, sometimes it makes sense to split the party when you want to have someone do like a stealth mission. Stealth is probably the most the most common reason parties get split. We talked about it earlier. Someone wants to scout ahead. The paladin in his heavy plate armor with the, with dexterity as his dump stat is not scouting anything. I think you wind up in situations where what is the best strategically and most in character for your characters is sometimes against what is most fun for everyone at the table. And that's tricky. It's tricky from the player's point of view and the DM's point of view. Like as a player, do I send my imp out to go scout? Oftentimes I'll ask, I'll be like, look, guys, do you want to handle it this way? But I also know I'm not getting necessarily honest answers back because the party, everyone recognizes it's the right thing to do, even if it's not the most fun way to handle it, right? Absolutely. That's the difference between the player and the character there. Yeah. As a player, I recognize that as the character. Now my character wants to go in there and kick in the door and start freaking like, you know, slamming somebody through a table. I would actually Which I want to point out in Dave's game, we're about to fight who I believe is Aslan the Lich. 
you need to stop my character like immediately or he is going to attack him. I don't think all I see is another much. all I see I, is another undead guy who I'm gonna try to put a wrestling hold on and he's the power word killed my ass. I, I think we're about to have a high stakes conversation with Ashley. I will say <laughs> I was glad because I uh, it was one of those times where it felt like this is this is off top of splitting the party, but it's a uh it's always nice when you can when you're able to end on an actual cliffhanger you know it's yeah. it's not always possible sometimes you're able to end on the completion of the quest and that's awesome and you have your little you know resolution or whatever this one it was literally you guys opened up the secret door in this temple and you walk in and we ended with the this thing turns around this what looks like a lich or something turns around and and asks you know who you are and then boom okay next next game and that that's great it doesn't always happen like that where you can drop an actual cliffhanger so that that was nice that we ended there and what do you mean a lich or something you have three dms in this game we all know what the lich looks like and that well, I mean, we just we just joke. did our we just did our episode about metagaming right so yeah everyone realizes it's a lich in the way in which i described it my but, character does it yeah but the, lich, um I'm, but... I'm i'm going to have to decide who would and wouldn't uh, know what this thing necessarily is you know but that's that's you know completely. probably none of us honestly yeah that's kind of where i'm going with it. but yeah, regardless you know it was it was nice in terms of that that's one of those cases where players metagaming i think add it to what the dm wanted the effect to be because you're right you know hall comes in and sees okay it's, de- it's a dusty old dead thing the players yeah. can see oh no that's a lich right. so the players feel more ang- more more cliffhanger anxiety than the, the characters necessarily would, yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that enriches the game. Well, I would actually prior say- to that, prior to the end of the game, this was a great example, I thought, of, aside from Hawk's character, because he uh, kind of went through an entire battle without actually being able to do any of the things that he was trying to do every <laughs> single turn. Um, it happens. Um, There's a lot well, of movement issues. It, it, it was a perfect example of what we're talking about, where the party split itself because that's just how it happened in yeah. terms of the the environment, in terms of the enemy, in terms of, of what you're dealing with. The party started to split themselves and got themselves in certain hot water or not, you know. Uh, but that was able to everyone – we were still in turn order, so it allowed – for the um, for the tension and stuff to to play out, as opposed to they're just sitting there waiting for their turn in a way. That's true. I mean, because you had the the paladin wound up soloing an amber golem. The reason being, the uh, the Arcanoloth was on a platform across this long. Uh, basically, it was several moves away. You had to basically. Oh, it was massive. The the yeah. temple floor there is massive. So you guys are in essence stuck, and this thing's firing out not only fireballs but fired up chain lightning and yeah. dropped two of the characters right off the bat. One of them, I think being the cleric. So, yes. And that's the, I mean, even though the cleric doesn't really prepare healing spells, you're like, you know, that's the last person you still <laughs> want to go down. <laughs> so basically the paladin had to run around a side corridor where he ran into a different monster. And then I remember my character's like, all right, they had their kind of loft in, in, in hand. We're going to go over here and deal with these flaming skulls. So we split ourselves up and you dealt with absolutely. three different groups of enemies at the same yeah. time. And each character's uh, decisions in-game, in action economy, began to absolutely change what you could do. You know, where Bonnie's character reduced the statue to try to trap this thing, but then Hawk goes over to try to get it, and then the thing teleports out. So then Sir Scar tries to, you know, end, end run it around, and 
holy shit, I just ran into a room with a <laughs> giant fucking gala, right? And all, and then flame skulls are firing stuff out at you. So it's little by little, your your choices became, you know, and that's where Hawk ended up. Every choice he made, the entire field of play changed by the time he came he, back around to what he wanted to do, you know? It was basically, you're basically playing monkey in the middle with the poor barbarians. Like, <laughs> no, it's over there, double dash. <laughs> Oh, he's over oh, there now. Double. No, I felt I felt bad, but I, there wasn't a lot I could do about it, you know. But I understood the frustration that that would create from the from being a player too, you know. So, but Tony rolled with it, which he well, always. The frustrating is being dusted. Thorn got absolutely atomized by electricity. He's like, "Hey, I'm standing a mile back. Oh, what's the range of chain lightning? It's long as shit." Uh, <laughs> uh, I was, forever. I was salty. <laughs> I was talking to the DM. I was salty because Tony, your character had triggered that. I'm like, we're like, okay, don't step on the floor and hold like i'm running across the floor and then he doesn't target hulk he targets the rest of us like god damn it to be fair he could have hit you at any time he wanted no he absolutely targeted hulk first and then dropped you guys with the second no he that's like fireballing a a stone building like cool it has scorch marks on it like that barbarian is unstoppable it's like fireballing the juggernaut you know best way to do yeah actually he is he is the juggernaut Juggernaut, yeah (laughs) Until you attack my mind, and then I'm like, I'm strangling my friends. Until I give you brain freeze with the D and D Slurpee. So. Got to hit him with that. We got to hit him with that. Uh, with that psychic damage. That. But feet wait until I'm level twelve, and I use that feat to take that wisdom proficiency. I'll and show all everybody. All of a sudden, the entirety of Barovia gets overrun by mind players. <laughs> well, to be honest, he's probably the one they're least interested in. I mean. Yeah, yeah, right. It's well, not that's also mean. true, right? It's not a very filling meal out of out of the actually no, a Hulk, but Hulk is pretty pretty. Yeah, he's not tough. Now I wanted to come back to something you said, Tony. So we had talked about kind of scouting and how you know on the one hand the players might decide to let the scouting go on, whereas your character wouldn't run in. I'd actually argue it's the other way around. Almost all characters are going to let the scout go out and do their thing. It's the players who get impatient with the fighting and want to rush forward. So which way is it? You know, I think there's tension there, but I actually think the tension is more the player wanting to kind of go fight rather than what the characters would do. Even a, even a barbarian is going to wait to hear what the enemy looks like, right? He wants to know where he, where he should reach. Well, it depends how long you leave my barbarian standing there. And honestly, like when I'm playing a chaotic, a good character, they're impatient. Like that's like that goes <laughs> right lockstep with each other. Erasmus is lawful good. He would have done a more methodical sweep of the area. He would have let Poe go look around. Hawks, like, you got five minutes to figure this shit out, and then I'm going in. So, There's I a mean, lot of truth there. It's, it has a lot to do with what kind of character you're playing, because most of the characters I play, outside of, like, a rogue, uh, my, you know, if I'm playing a rogue, I'm going in. I'm going to say, hey, do you want me to stealth in? Or I'm just going to go do it. Um, where most of my characters, Beam and Roderick, are saying, no, could somebody go check this out? Or Poe, and I sent him out. Or Beam asked the rogue to go out, you know, which, you know, she's finally starting to do now. But so as a as a player and the character, I, I kind of go towards that because I'm trying, to, one, to play tactics, but two, to play the character. I mean, most characters don't want to just, they're not just going to run into a dark room, you know? You know, I would actually argue almost no character does. A, a, a lot of a lot of players do kind of build their character where they're like, well, I'm just going to be super impulsive. But I don't know. I mean, there's a couple characters that make sense on like little one, little one, a little yeah. one's highly impulsive in that way. I can kind of see it. But like, I just disagree. Like the idea that that like a random barbarian is going to not want to bother to wait to hear what's over there. I don't think that's. You can have your character any way you want, but I don't buy it as much. Like, I don't well, think let me true. tell you, like, I think I'm the barbarian's going to want to wait to see what and happens. chew gum, and I was all out of gum by the time I got there. <laughs> 
and I don't want to even kind of say this like in front of the DM, but like my character, that character at this point is kind of drinking a little bit of his own Kool-Aid. <laughs> he has been successful in his, yeah. So he started out very much in a certain mindset, which we, we haven't gone into, but very much has been successful. So you're going to start to kind of believe your own press. Yeah. Or, or at least that he believes that he can solve problems very directly. With his fists, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, at the six, I've been in tough spots. I've run it, like, especially in your early game, where I was very seriously challenged because I ran into creatures that had mat had resistance to non-magical weapons. Like, when we were separated, that was a high-tension moment because I'm like, okay, well, the, the Paladin's got a really awesome magic sword, and I have my silvered hammer, which does not do full damage to these freaking so, ghosts. Or the time we fought, like, the eight vampires at once, and they were beating my ass because... Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, we do feel ahead there. of the power curve. Oh, if, uh, yeah, if the Sun Sword had not been discovered so early in the game, uh, the trajectory would have looked a lot different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But regardless. So, I mean, so is there anything special you do? We talked about kind of how we've handled some specific situations with splitting up the party. Is there anything you do specifically to try to make that go a little better? I think that if you're going to split the party, then it has to really be fair and where the time is going so like if we're doing again cinematically versus in the game professor x is not sending everybody on the team to handle one mission like you need to go talk to this guy okay you're not going to send wolverine cyclops gene gray uh shadow cat and beast that's not necessary unless you're uh, sending them to fight magneto at the statue of liberty right uh, okay, outside well, that of that sense. right yeah outside of that but then i want to say okay fine i am split the party i'm gonna be very cognizant of how much time each group gets before I pan back to the other party. I think yeah. that's the most important thing. And I touched on earlier, we've all had that player who's like, okay, like they're like going down the road, you know, they're traveling. And like these two guys are in a sword fight. Like we're talking seconds are passing. And you're like, <laughs> so when you met the Lord, did he seem anything suspicious about him? Did he seem off, you know, and like in in the term of the, the battle, this is just like happening in a flash of an eye. Yeah, I would say similarly to some other aspects of running the game, I would not plan for it. I would have things that could split the party. For instance, like the Wall of Stone in Argonvolst Hole. But that wouldn't necessarily have split the party, depending on what happened, you know, or, or how you guys investigated something. So I never planned for splitting it, but I... I think the best time it can happen is when the players' choices have put them in that in that in that uh, state. You know, like we were just talking about in the temple, you actively split the party because of just the options that were available to you. But that was now on you. It wasn't oh he you know Dave put us in this situation kind of thing, um, or oh my all of a sudden a portcullis falls. You know. Um, so I wouldn't plan on doing it. And I would say allow the characters, uh, players' uh, choices to create it and then run with it. Because at that point, I think it's much more, it's like we talk about with traps, right? Like you run into a trap, you kind of feel like it's on you because you didn't check. You didn't, you know, that type of thing. I think similarly with splitting the party, don't plan for it, but don't shy away from it either. Cause damn, it's when it works, it's good. <laughs> and I think I think for me, you know, my my big uh, you know my big advice there is you know try to keep things in turn order as much as you can, and try to give everyone a chance to to act and 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 be mindful of how long you let anyone act individually. Like 
you, you got to split it quickly. And that's the toughest thing. Like, how long do you let each individual player go? Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? Is it 15 minutes? It gets out of hand fast. And 15 minutes goes by way faster than you realize when you're in the middle of a role play session. Yeah. I mean, it just does. Like, you'll be yeah. like, oh, that was, that was, that was, that was, we did that for 90 seconds. No, that was like 15 minutes, dude. Like, it, well, it's it, like when you get into a battle, you look up, all of a sudden, an hour and 15 minutes has passed. You go, oh my God, I was in this, this time warp. Uh, yeah, and I think that's very different. Like I said earlier, uh, if the party is split during an action-oriented scene, is exceedingly different than if they're split during a role-playing-oriented yeah. scenes. That's where it really can start to uh, start to <sighs> So when do you cut it? Because I will say, I think that's actually, I think it's really important to how do you make this work? Because like you also might split the party when they're all shopping, right? Like we did in the um, in the Elven City. In, uh, in the Woodstock yeah. Wanderers game, everyone yeah. kind of did their own thing. You kind of have to be cognizant of where is my good break point where this scene feels like this player got what they, they, it's a satisfying chunk, right? You're stopping at a point where it makes sense to stop, but you're moving on before the rest of the players get too antsy. And you kind of got to keep an eye out for that. Like it might be one conversation, then break, or it might be one shopping encounter, then break. You, I think you want to be careful when you have the party split up in like town type encounters, not to let one player start stringing his encounters or her encounters together. You want to, you want to have a break. You want to have breaks between those scenes. I think that if you kind of have to, you know, as a DM, you're a bit of a magician. Like we keep talking about, and like, you know, we do tricks and what have you. I would let it run a little further and let you dig a little deeper. Like say Roderick's talking to a shopkeeper. I'm going to let the scene go on a little longer, maybe because I know you may have an opportunity to uncover something that's vital to my story. Yeah, I was going to say ex kind of exactly down that same whole tone in that, especially the way I kind of roll things, like especially if you're in a town and you're talking to shopkeepers. My shopkeepers oftentimes, as we've said, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, are active. They're going to talk with you. They're going to converse. They're going to, and that can lead to nothing. It was just like a fluff piece, or it can lead to, like Tony, you said, all of a sudden I've gotten rumors about the town. I have adventure hooks. I have jobs boards, whatever it is. Right. But yeah, do you let the, do you let Hannibal just <laughs> go with that? Right. For, you know, 15 minutes. Well, maybe depending on it's it's that, you know, reading the table while it's happening, you know, but if you're seeing a lot of phones out and a lot of, you know, rolled eyes, yeah. that's tough. But I would also say as a just a final point on this this thing, too, we talk a lot about how, you know, one, the DM is a player as well. Right. So you have to be having fun. And while you're running the game and part of running the game is managing the game. We do talk about that. Like you're not like this isn't your job, you know, so. There's a level as players as well that you kind of have to manage yourselves and be cognizant that there are other people at the table who also are playing characters that they want have to. So, you know, have that realization that some people are going to have the spotlight at times and other help the DM manage the table, you know, so you're all part of that as opposed to just one person having to somehow manage five, six, seven different things all at the same time, you know? So I think some of that has to do with, with just, like I've said before, curating a group that is a little more self-aware maybe. How, how do you handle, we haven't talked about this yet, but how do you handle the rest of the table's knowledge about what's happening with someone who's away? Mm. Do you let, do you let, do you, do you ask, do you let them, first of all, do you let them talk? 
Like I know which we've times, had in Storm Kings several yeah. times that we've talked about, right? With I big know, info as a, dumps. As a D, well, as a DM, also like if I have a player who's separate from the rest of the party talking to an NPC, oftentimes the rest of the players want to jump in and tell them what to say or contribute to the conversation. I generally don't let that happen. Yeah. I generally say, look, you're not there. You can't be part of this. They have to do that alone. But the downside of this, I mean, the upside is it creates more of a feeling of, of reality and it gives that player more of a spotlight. The downside is the rest of your players are totally uninvested and they get bored and they have something they want to do. They can't do So they kind of go, oh, all right. You know, and they kind of like they, they kind of you kind, you're basically shutting them down a little bit. I know some DMs where they will give their characters all speaking stones or something. So everyone can be there in every interaction, even when their character's not there. How do you handle that? <laughs> like, do you, do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's better to have them not know? No, I, I everybody is not in every scene that, that that's a little nutty. I, I don't, I don't like that at all to be perfectly honest. And honestly, while I like a problem could occur though, where a player talks to an NPC, gets vital information and then relays half of that to the party unintentionally. So what I would say then is you return to the party and then my player says, hey, and then I relay what just happened to the party. Yeah. And then we can yeah. discuss. Yeah. That's much more blank. Because, I mean, we saw in, in my game where, you know, there's points where some of these details were a little muddled. Like, we're like, OK, we are going here. We understand that we have to do this. But but what about these guys and how does that fit in and why? And how and how is this this and it, without all that together, it doesn't hold the story to, you know in place like Gorilla Glue should. You know, we both had that issue because you had to come up in the in your game, you had a bunch of plot details revealed to a player and what was effectively memories being unlocked. That the rest of us, I know, I kind of zoomed like I was like, all right, I shouldn't be there, I shouldn't hear this. I kind of zoned out a little bit. I didn't follow, and they never got shared. The same thing happened in Woodstock Wanderers. I had a player come in with backstory that never got shared. I had and I had another player go off for a little conversation with the big big goo bad great old one bad and that stuff hasn't come out probably for the best it's, but like it like there is that aspect of okay so does this yeah. come back to the party or not there's a balance between those because tony i agree i don't think everything like the speaking stones idea like oh everyone knows everything all the time because i for me i like a little of the players having the ability for their characters to be like people, which you know certain information, and am I going to just share it with you immediately? Like in the Woodstock Wanderers, Beam will oftentimes, uh, he did it with Hasman when when he was around. He is now doing it with uh, with Bonnie's character, um, Ojin, uh, where he'll go to the Paladin, Sir Morton, and say, okay, just between us, I'm kind of worried about this person, right, because of certain things you see. And the player should have a level of agency to share or not share what they want to know. For in, in Curse of Strahd, Phineas has certain information that he can share or not share. That's none of their business. Fenris has information that he can share or not share. Sir Scar has information that he can share. So people have information that they can decide. And, and I think you have to allow at least a level of freedom with them to but yes i share everything with the party or yeah no they're they're cool it's uh no big deal i just had a real weird dream that's all you know i don't disagree with anything you just said at all there yeah but um honestly you have to uh consider like what thorn's character i said before that honestly like there's interesting things going on with his character that at this point i don't know about and nor am i gonna ever find out about at this point
You mean uh, in the Strahd game? And with yeah, he's a doppelganger. No. He's got some, no, see, he's some shit going on. And at so this point, I always try, unless it's, so one, and I've been doing this a lot in this campaign, just because we've been able to play it out. A lot of the other ones, like, you know, slavers got cut, things like that. But so I, if I'm giving the character information specifically about their backstory and only about their character development, for instance, like Chris's character, Sir Scar and the Paladin, giving him this kind of dream communication with his god. And then there's also the, so if that's just for the character itself, cool. If it's something that it can affect the plot of the campaign and change that, I give that to the character, but there's always times when they get to a certain spot that that's gonna be revealed. And if that character chose not to reveal that, well, now we have an interesting party dynamic with, whoa, um, what's going on with this character over here? Why didn't you tell me anything about this? You know, which, as you guys have said in past campaigns, can go good or bad. But yeah, actually, yeah, no, that is definitely <laughs> something that's live in our campaigns. Yeah, sure. live rounds, as you and said. I, right? And I certainly don't feel like I think characters should have a bit of mystery to them. Like honestly, like your character in the Marvel game, I mean. <laughs> I want to like I want to stop like my character who I'm playing is you know he's a teenager and he just you know I he was like so what is going on exactly power Peter Parker right he's yeah. just yeah. and he like dude like like what you're like I actually want to start calling you the DL because you're like the Dark Lantern uh but like, like what's like there's obviously some crazy shit going on with your character that um. You know, I would be interested in, but like with, with Thorne's character now, at this point, like when we're like 16 games in, now it's kind of going to remain a mystery. I mean, like no, no, uh, for like that's what I was saying. So, um, when I when we kind of drop some of these like little bit of hints here, and that's all just because we're talking on the on the cast here, you know, so we all have to kind of play a little bit of compartmentalization. But uh, certain information was is a way to give plot points that you know you're seeding the plot, but you're seeding it through a character or two characters or something. Similar, uh, for instance, in the very beginning, when you guys were at the Blood of the Vine Tavern and you were speaking with the sisters, the Vistani sisters, and the one began to tell a story and through, you know, quote, gypsy magic storytelling, end quote, whatever, visions kind of, all of you had your own little stories that, all seeded the plot, you know? So if I'm giving things that are plot specific, um, I am planning on having that uncovered. That's not gonna go uncovered. Yeah, so that's that's the two ways in which I try to approach that, allow for character development, if that's just on them. But if it's something that's germane to the plot, then that's something that I can pull that card out, even if they choose not to share it with the rest of the group, you know? <laughs> so. I would say with Finney. Like you can you're, hide it from your mom, but at some point she's gonna know, and she's you know. <laughs> she's gonna find. Yeah, like you thought you hit it, and she was like, I "Yeah, knew. no, I knew about that the whole time. I knew you were drinking in the woods, you know, whatever." <laughs> I mean, with Phineas, the reason I didn't get into any of that stuff is because, well, number one, some of what's been hinted at, he doesn't know about. Um, like so, like some of the places where Phineas is intersected with like Rose's character have been have been news to Phineas, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the other thing is he literally 
I mean, you know, just for the for, for the sake of the show, what Phineas's character is is he works he works for an archfey. He is a changeling. He was made a changeling by that archfey. He has a past before that that he's not interested in, as far as he's concerned. That's yeah, that's gone, and he he didn't like it when it was there. So he's basically since then kind of been someone who goes out for the archfey, plays a role, and ruins people's lives. Like he's sort of the you know it's, it's sort of the kind of a little bit like. Uh, um, was that a Victorian type novel? Like, you know, Pride and Prejudice type thing. Or he's that character who's kind of, who shows up in their life, ruins them personally and business-wise and takes the revenge kind of worse than death and then disappears. And he goes and plays that character somewhere else at I his lords. I think that's actually a really good explanation of that. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's it. And I have in mind characters like that. How I, like, I mean, the Thistledown Man is one of the names his 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 patron goes by. That comes straight from mm. uh, Doctor Strange and Mr. Norrell, which is a yeah. fantastic book. But the book is essentially it's a riff on a supernatural version of something like a Pride and Prejudice. Like it is specifically an homage to that kind of novel, adding a supernatural element. And it's interesting in that way. But yeah, he's he, he's a little bit of a mysterious character. He's you know what's so funny character. with that, though? Real quick, just on a completely like kind of note, the man with the thistle down hair, right? Like that's I completely kind of forgot of that because you have several names for your patron, yes. right? Which is very, very in with with a patron. Mm-hmm. But literally one of the ways in which they describe Argenvolst is the man with the That's thistle right. down hair. Yeah. Really? And you guys saw him when you were at Argenvolst Hall. You look up and you see like this man with thistle down hair looking through the window and then the thing goes back. And I didn't think about it until later. I went, oh shit, I wonder if he thought that it was some way like his patron, but I don't think you caught on to that. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I knew my patron so, would be- careful with your descriptions, people, sometimes because it might uh, cause some confusion. So it is like that's the that's the case though where I kind of intended him to be a character that remains mysterious in that way, because uh, I'm not sure like he's not someone who wants to bring his past up like that's his character. No, but to tell no, you that's the, with that, that's what I'm talking about. all of the um all of the characters have certain things that I have I might hint at with certain things, but everyone's character certain aspects are theirs to hold, and if they share or not share. That's that, that uh, for me, I feel it gives them a level of a of an ownership and an agency in the world in that way. So you're going to tell Hawk in game seven, 16, 17 to go, oh, by the way, I'm a doppelganger. You'd be like, brother, what are you talking about? Well, <laughs> with that, then you kind of get that sense from from Phineas. Well, no, like, that's been that's been dropped out several times. Yeah. Yeah. He's actively changed. Remember, he he masqueraded as um, Irina. He and came out. Irina. He came out no, as Irina. He was thinking of doing it, but he did masquerade as Arena. Yeah. yeah. Very and early on. He told on. everyone then. He told everyone he says he's a changeling, and I made it clear I could do it at will. Like, what? I told everyone. And I didn't tell them why. He's a, he's a very uh, pretty, uh, long, blonde hair uh, kind of looking, uh, like Tristan from Legends of the Fall. He uh, did change one game into looking more like The Witcher all of a sudden, you know, overnight. So there have well, definitely been points where I mean, he's kind of blonde. He's pretty. And yeah, when the when the um, Vistani were complimenting Hawk for being big and rugged and kind of ragging on Phineas a little bit for being a pretty girly man, he came down the next morning with a, with more <laughs> rippling muscles and more of a scruffy beard, a little more of a Witcher look within the same character. What a good point. He does things like that all the time. A good point that sometimes this stuff, while it, 
you like you pick up on that, me and you, but the other characters aren't because they're not invested in necessarily your backstory and they don't have your whole plot behind them, right? Yeah. I mean, but I I told you and I told them. Like, I mean, it was it wasn't like done. Like, it wasn't like it happened and then you get mentioned in the game. That was all mentioned in the game. That one I did miss. Yeah, yeah. that's subtle. I mean, like like they've said, why would those things? Yeah, where you know you don't necessarily know if people are picking up on it. But anyway, that's all. But that, that's all you know, stuff. that's okay. that is part of the D and D experience that that is germane to what we're talking about here though because that is the thing right what's happening with your character and what the what the players are saying to the dm is often very important personal to their enjoyment of that character like no i want you to notice i did this thing because i want that to matter to the game whereas you as the dm sometimes are like uh i'm just trying to make this shit all work here and get you to point a to point b and okay that's good yeah your character does that everyone knows moving on and I'm terrible with this. I got to tell you, as a DM, I am terrible with kind of the little character details where I'm like, okay, great. You did it. Moving on. Well, it, uh, that falls down into to what what is your style as a DM? And some DMs will play with that and some won't. And that's fine, you know, but you put it out there. So have you guys ever had a player die when they were off camera? Like when they were off on their own split party adventure and just die? And what do you do? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Good God. Yeah. Um, then, uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually, one of our legendary battles, we split the party up and, uh, it was me, it was myself, uh, and two others, a paladin, a barbarian, and I was playing a, uh, kind of a, mar- not quite a monk, but a martial arts-like character, and we went off on a side quest and got freaking killed, so, <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, I'm in the back of the party. party. Oh, by the way, um, next game, uh, we're all shared with new characters because we went on a side. Remember that side quest we said we're going to do? Yeah, we all ate it. We took it a little <laughs> too far. There was a part where we should have scouted. So there was all these freaking guys in this place. And we're like, no, no, we should come back with the whole team. And we're like, no, no, we're going in. And yeah. We got TPK'd. It was a it was a minor TPK, but that happened. It didn't happen to I. I it hasn't happened while I've been running, but it, there have been times where it could have happened. Like for instance, when in Slavers Bay, when you guys went to hunt down Captain Mercer, the head of the Jolly Punks, through the woods and, and found him in his cave. There were three of you then, and so at first it, I, you know, my my thought was that Hannibal was going to go alone, and I was like, oh, this is probably. Gonna, I mean, this guy's going to take him out, you know. But with three of you there, it didn't. Yeah, that'd be tough. I would say, like, you know, if the players, if they all split up on their own, then, like, that's that's kind of on them. And you you have to, Tony, right, like, you have to let the, the threat of death and danger be there. And if it's not, then why would they not split up all the time, right? My pro tip is if you go off and you split the party, especially in between sessions, like where you have time, I say you guys have time to do stuff and you guys are over here and these guys are over there go and you both could do whatever you're doing and they're saying we're going to go investigate this place in this time frame and you get killed you have to tell the other party don't drag me don't drop leave me <laughs> holding this friggin' bag well that could have happened as well with same campaign with slavers because kevin and and rob couldn't make it to the one session so i had them split off and kind of did a by text thing where they were investigating the tunnels underneath the uh, the inn and it's very possible that they could have died. I mean, Rob's character came close to being to eating it, and it would have had it would have been a. So yeah, uh, you you can't find them. They're they're missing. <laughs> you know, we've actually we've drifted into another aspect of splitting the party, which isn't at the table split, but is the side quest between games. 
Mm. This is a, a kind of a different thing. It's still splitting the party, though. Yeah, no, we actually did our other character's funeral. The surviving players. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I don't usually pick up side quests, solo side quests like that, in part because I have a lot of games going on and I just don't have the bandwidth. Like, if you're not there for a session, okay, you're missing the session, your character went off catching butterflies or something. Oh, yeah, and, we had, a, what, we have one other game going at that time, so I had yeah, time to be able to do that. If I was, right now, we got four or five games running, probably not as much. You might get a text. This happened. <laughs> the end. I'll see you next session, right? But, yeah. And the it other happens. tricky thing is, I mean, I know sometimes, I know this came up in your game sometimes, where you have players playing in different games or different side quests, and they come back with cool shit and extra levels. And then how do you integrate that? <laughs> yeah, what the hell happened? Well, I'm like, you know what? Here's the problem with that, though. If I'm going to threaten and say, don't, you, you could die, and then they don't, well, then I have to give them the reward. It, it goes mm. hand in hand. So, so you have three guys who got freaking murdered, and they're dead. We're doing their funeral, or this guy found a magic sword. Well, hey, this happened. You know, for me, if I, that's actually kind of why I don't like side questing. Like, I would rather, if, I, if we had a five-player game, and I had two of those players alone, and they wanted to play a game with me, I would probably have them start new characters, rather than split, rather than have them go off and have their own adventures. This is back in the day when we were running one game at a time, and we yeah, played multiple times in a week. Yeah, it oh. depends on, on the type of campaigning game you're running, too, because for the most part, the, the games that we have been running... Um, there's there's no chance for the side quest to occur in that way, other than a short jaunt to the store, right? It's a it's kind of a constant like you you have this goal in mind, so you don't have that. But in these longer running ones, like we talked about in the one episode where you have this downtime and where do you go with it and what do you do? Well, they're gonna go off and do their own things, and for that, I have no issue with that because then you're all coming back to the table. If you decided not to do anything, you're just drinking in the tavern for the next three months. Well, I mean, hey, man, everybody's got to be Nicholas Cage from leaving Las Vegas at some point, right? <laughs> but then, I mean, but now, now you as a DM have to deal with that and that one. Some players who did stuff during that downtime are more powerful than others. And while it's not, it sounds nice to say, well, hey, you should have done some stuff. In practice, I think that introduces some game problems. <laughs> Like, I think it introduces some things that you now have to deal with as the DM as far as balance goes. Why is this guy cooler? Now you've incentivized some players to go do more stuff, and other players might not have the time for other reasons. Maybe they didn't do anything else because they couldn't, because that, that, that player, that person has a life and couldn't make that extra time. Mm. So, like, that's why, for me, I'd rather than do individual side quests like that, I would rather say, okay, we'll play, but new character what else do you want to play yeah this is a new story i'd rather i'd split a game rather than split the characters that, adventures within the one game that's definitely a back in the day kind of practice yeah. that's well, something that, i would do now i think it's i mean there's plenty of people playing now i think who are thinking about that my advice personally my personal preference is if i if i have a group of six players and we're playing a game and i have two of them separately and they're like hey we want to hang out we want to play a game can you dm us i'm not going to dm their core characters i'm going to dm other characters they make up and probably start a new adventure which honestly is kind of why we have six adventures because <laughs> yeah. we could have just done all the side adventures of, of other party members but no we said we started a bunch of different games that's kind of part of how i know i wound up yeah i think i think tony you're right that's much more of a uh, uh an old school style of play i think the closest thing you would come to with something like that would be like if you were running a west marches style campaign where there that's kind of the whole point is different yeah. teams of adventurers get together and go do this thing you know but that's completely i mean different. i think there's plenty of people 
people who might still want to do it. I mean, it's just my advice on it. You yeah. know, you can do it. The tricky part is if you do side questing a lot with the party, like a like separate session, this is the problem. The problem That's, is the side yeah. questers are going to get levels. They're going to get items. How do you balance that with other players who couldn't be there? And maybe not for their own, maybe, and it's not just a matter of saying, well, you weren't here, so you didn't get it. Cause there's probably good reasons they weren't there. They probably would have liked to have been there, but couldn't cause of life. You don't punish someone cause they have a life outside of the game mm. and it can become punishing in a way because it can become kind of like, it can, it's the sort of thing that would be like, well, these guys who I side quested with, they got more stuff, they're higher level. They're either going to look like your favorites or the other players who didn't get the stuff are going to feel like you're punishing them. Like there's not a really, from the DM political point of view of you kind of managing these players. I got what you're saying. There's not yeah, a good way out yeah. of it. Yeah, I got what you're saying. Thankfully, we haven't really run into the macro splitting the party problem so much. <laughs> because we started different games instead. Yeah, I mean, honestly, right. it, we could have. We could have done side quests if we wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, especially when we have gaps between the games that are three to five weeks. For yeah. Sure. I mean, there was we made a choice, and and I know I was I know particularly in, in that in that point I was doing most of the DMing, and I was particularly like, no, we're a different game. Like I'm not, I'm not side questing with other characters from this game. I want to start a different game. Cause I also want to do different games. Like I have other ideas. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah. And then you have to say to the other players, like, okay, um, I allowed you guys a full, these other guys, a full session. Uh, how, how are you going to uh, give them that same opportunity? And that's tricky. Yeah. Unless yeah, you truly had be... planned two sessions, then that's fine. Then that's, yeah. that's on the table. So we have gone on for a while now about splitting the party to do it, to not do it. We came into this with the idea that it was a Mythbuster episode. So the myth is never split the party. What do you think? Is it confirmed, busted, or or uh, inconclusive? Uh, I, I would say it, it, I wouldn't take it off the table. There are times when it is absolutely necessary, especially if it happens organically in the game. I would not stop my players from doing it. I would not, as Dave said, look for opportunities specifically to do it unless it was very carefully planned in the story where it's a decision, where that is on the table. You, Your players can. They are not required to. I am not saying, hey, you guys have to divide up because that's, in my experience, that's how players die. Uh, and circling back to what I said earlier, uh, honestly, there, when you're splitting the party up, that means you have other players sitting on the bench during the game. So that is a concern, but there are times where it makes it, when you pull that trick out of your hat periodically, it can lead to a memorable game. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's two different, uh, myths. I think it's either DM versus players. So players, it's always never split the party. Um, but there are times where that, so as we said, is advantageous in terms of the characters themselves and the storyline. As the DM, like Tony, you were just saying, don't plan for it, but absolutely allow it to happen. But realize that there is a, a very distinct difference between action-oriented splitting the party and role-play-oriented splitting the party. And you have to adjust differently, like Thorin did with Call of Cthulhu, that's role-play oriented so you kind of you do have to a little bit plan for that or else it can go real off the rails even though it still fucking did regardless um <laughs> and i'm going to go back to that i still think that the the, the best idea is um splitting the party is fine just realize that the, everyone at the table has to understand what character karaoke is and i think that's a great term for it we're you trademarking know? that right part, now. yeah part of the fun is not just you having the spotlight part of the fun is people seeing you have the spotlight you know 
that's you know we haven't really explored it but that is so true like it really is part of the fun of D um and maybe not every player and every dm can relate to this but for many players is yeah. the is is that karaoke element that i'm going to strut my stuff and i'm going to do something cool and i want someone else to witness me yeah witness me that's the that's what you're saying me. Game, look right? upon me in despair <laughs> <laughs> So okay, uh, we did we myth busted. Is it is it? I mean, so is it in your opinion? Is it myth confirmed? Never split the party. Myth busted or inconclusive? Oh. Gotta say it's inconclusive. Yeah, because, yeah. because we're kind of we're right on the fence of it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna say for me it's myth busted because I think as the DM, forcing the party to split up is risky, but I think splitting the party can lead to a lot of cool things. I think there's more reward than risk. However, there are risks. And that's why, you know, we talked about it as a party trick, and it kind of is. Like, it's a gimmick. If you bring the party into a session and you're splitting them up, like I just did with this Call of Cthulhu session, yeah. and you're forcing them to split up for whatever reason, one, you want it to be organic, like everything else your world should do. You want it to really make sense to the players why this is happening. You don't want them questioning. You don't want them feeling like, oh, man, the DM's just sticking around with us. You want them to, to see that, that, that you, want, you, don't, you want it to be so organic they don't question why it's happening. And you want to kind of milk it. And I think you want the other players to enjoy what's going on. Try to make it a bit of theater. But you can't do it too often. Because if you do it too often, the trick's not cool. You know, I'm actually questioning. Like, it's like, okay, do I bring this party back in? Do I have the FBI do this with them in the future? However, I got to keep in mind, it, next time I pull this, the party is going to be like, oh, God, this again. I did it once. Do I do it twice? I certainly don't do it ten times. You know, so keep mm. that in mind. Like, it's a trick. Break it out. Have some fun with it. Put it away. Don't come back to it for a while. So yeah, I gotta say it's it's worth it. But you gotta mind these risks, and you gotta mind the player experience. And you gotta make sure they're having fun with it, and you gotta watch them. I mean, because I definitely there was times in that Call of Cthulhu one where I'm like watching the table. I'm like, all right, I gotta wrap this one up and get to the next one and move on here because I got this other adventure we're gonna get to. Yeah. But yeah, I think you can do it. You can do it, and it could be a lot of fun. You just just yeah, you got you got to balance it a lot. It's it's it, there's a very active balancing to make this situation work for the dungeon master. Good stuff. All right, guys. I had a lot of fun. It was good talking to you. We did not split the party. We stayed together. <laughs> and thank you all for listening to us today for another episode of Three Wise DMs. This one was not based on audience questions, however most of our episodes are. So if you have any questions you'd like us to talk about, any issues you'd like to hear hear us banter around, you can send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com. Question in the What's Your Problem field. That's threewisedms.com, the website. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're covering those all the time, replying a lot. So feel free to send us questions, comments, kudos there. And if you like like what you're listening to please and whatever podcast platform you're listening on smash that five star rating button leave us a positive review tell your friends you know it's, it's really been taking off it's, it's been doing great the audience is growing and that's that's really you guys talking about it so we appreciate that thank you very much and it totally makes a difference so that's it this time we'll see you next week on three wise dms